Welcome to the Reference Counting Podcast. I'm Taylor Hutchison, joined by my co-host as always, Andy Collins. Andy, how you doing? Good, Taylor. Good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, we're here in Nashville. It's kind of slowly turning into summer. It's a uh, beginning of May is when we're recording this, and um, it, it was both cold and hot today. So I guess that's you know kind of where we're going to be for the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, other than that, doing all right. And the seasons don't transition in, in, a, in a smooth curve, do they? They not don't. around here, not, at least. Yeah, not in here. I hear that maybe in, in California they get stuff like that, but uh, not, not in Nashville. It's like uh, you get a mix. <laughs> you never know when it's going to be freezing in September or blazing hot in April. So It's true. Well, uh, what have you been up to since we last spoke? What have I been up to? Oh, you know, I know we we sort of we don't really talk a lot about the pandemic that's going on around us that much because, you know, why would we do that when everybody nobody needs to hear somebody else talk about that? Right. Oh, this, and this podcast is really set outside of time. Oh, right. It's uh, yeah, it, it's it's not exactly taking place in the normal stream of, of human history, you know, so, so it can kind of remain forever true, but yeah, there is a pandemic. I, I think going around. Yeah. It's just, it's going around. People are, people are talking about it a little bit. I, I did. So, uh, let's just to kind of slip ourselves into time for a moment. Uh, I will say that I actually went, my wife and I went to a movie. Oh my. We did. It was great. Um, did, did you uh, like wait for the right movie or was it just like, let's go to the movies. I don't care what's playing. It was the second thing. It was like the, the theater opened back up again and we're like, okay, it's time to go. So we went on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. You had to, you know, keep a mask on and all that stuff, but it sure. was still, it was still a, a, a pleasant experience. I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of people and I'm sure there are people listening that don't understand why you would ever want to go to the theater. You got the big screen, you got the couch, you got whatever, the recliners. <laughs> I like going to the theater. I'm a big fan of going yeah. to the theater. I don't like people talking in the theater. I, I you know, I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> right. But I do, um, I like the big the big screen, the big sound, the whole experience, you know, get a little snack, get a drink or something like that, the whole thing. So, yeah, I like That's this good. idea, you know, a little bit getting back to normal. I'm, I'm for it. Well, did you get the experience you were looking for, or was it? <laughs> no, I did. Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, it, 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 I guess it's the nature of the times. Again, we're outside of time, but just to slip into time, it's the nature of the times that uh, I'm sort of maybe comfortable enough wearing a mask that I didn't notice it that often, which is kind mm-hmm. of a sad way to being, but I guess it's better than, than just being irritated by it the whole time. So no, that's good. I mean, I think that probably means you're absorbed into the movie and just kind of like left your body and, and had an experience. Yeah. And, it was like, like an astral projection sort of movie theater experience. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. yeah. People pay a lot of money for that and they could just be going to the movies and yeah. relaxing. Yeah. I mean, it's not exactly cheap to go to the movies, but it's not, you know, it's not like a, like a sensory deprivation tank or whatever other things people right. are doing. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, burning tickets to burning right that's probably not what you meant when you asked what i was doing lately was less of it was probably less about me going to the movies and more about technology or whatever we're doing here that's good i think uh that 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 was a real conversation between two friends that that listeners are hearing right now i had no idea that you went to the movies so um 
this is not pre-scripted. Right. This, this is just, this is us having a real conversation. Right. That's, that's right. So, uh, okay. Now it's time to turn to page three in our script. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, now what have I been doing technology wise? I have been doing something that I never thought I would do, to be honest. Oh my. Uh, something very much out of character for me. I have been learning Java. Oh my! Oh my goodness! I if, if I had a if I had a glass of water, I'd do like a, a spit take or something that's, like well, that. Well, that yeah, that's probably a little bit less uh, less less compelling over audio. So, <laughs> but you can also fake right. it over audio. So maybe we'll work on that later. Yeah, like classic radio drama. Like, uh, yeah, if I could, I had some type of. A keyboard full of sounds that might be uh, useful in the future, but uh, maybe as a as a background to that statement, listeners should know that you and I have had several conversations over the years about both of us. Um, well, you you actually do have uh, some Java background, right? But both of us have been Java hesitant, <laughs> maybe is one way to put it, for for a long time. So I've certainly danced around it and avoided it for most of my hobbyist and professional career, certainly. Yeah. I, um, one of, not my first job, the first couple of jobs I had, uh, were didn't really go super well. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show before, but you know, the first job I had right out of college, it was 2000, uh, it was 2000, the year 2000, actually. Um, no, 2001. Sorry. I forgot. I'm, I'm very old. I forget things. Um, (laughs) yeah, and it was a company I was working there. I won't tell, tell the whole story, but they they were they they would pay me. Well, they would give me something in exchange for work. And the thing they they would give me were these paper checks. In those days, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept, uh, but it's supposed to, <laughs> I remember, it, yeah. it's supposed to be redeemable for money. Mm. But the ones that they gave supposed- me were not, so that didn't work out <laughs> super well. Um, and around that time, the, the dot-com bubble was bursting all over the place and just getting just mm-hmm. messy everywhere, right? Um, and so the next job I had kind of fell victim to that. Uh, by, by the way, I didn't stay in the, in the job that didn't pay me very long. Just, so I mm-hmm. wasn't that, you know, I was maybe a little naive to take the job, but not so naive that I decided to believe them when they said the next check was going was to clear. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so the third job that I actually had out of college, which was only like a year after I graduated college, um, was was a Java development job. And it was with a team of folks that nobody had ever done in Java. May, actually, maybe one of, the, one of the team, one of the guys had done Java. Um, but everybody else was coming from a COBOL background, which was sort of interesting. I did not, I had no experience with COBOL. But these, so I had I had learned in college, uh, mostly C I've done a couple. I actually did like a few weeks of Java in one class. I did some Visual Basic. I took a class in that. Uh, a couple other languages. Uh, so I was suddenly I was thrust as a really young person thrust into this world where I had a little bit more understanding of the nature of this language than anybody else did because they were all COBOL programmers, and you know COBOL programming was. Is, is a very different thing. It's a very different thing. Um, so anyway, we did a little Java in the old days. We did some Java server pages, did some Java servlets. Um, and it mm. was in the, uh, this is like 2002, right? So mm. I don't, I wish, Java, I should, Java was very hot. 
at that it time. It really was. I mean, literally, dot, you know, .NET had was very new. I mean, it felt like it was not sure. You, I mean, the world I was in, at least, there was nobody who was certain that .NET was going to be a thing, right? I mean, Microsoft mm-hmm. was pushing it. It was, you know, had a good chance, but it certainly didn't have the legs under it that Java did because Java was like seven years old at that time. Um, yeah. Had been proven out in, in various scenarios and, yeah, had a lot more weight and, like, legitimacy sort of to it. Yeah, and it, and it certainly had a lot more. The tools were better and it, it was just it was just more mature. Do you remember what, um, like development environment you were using at that time uh yeah we were using oracle tools at that time even before this was when sun still existed so sun was the company that created java and they sold out to oracle in like 2010 i believe um yeah it was later it was much later yeah so they but when oracle was still like a major and early adopter of java you know oracle and ibm both had really competing java web servers there were Java mm-hmm. application servers. In those days, it was like, this was uh, OC for J was the Oracle, the Oracle container for Java, I believe that's what it stood for, was uh, one of the, the web servers that we were using. So it was all Oracle tools. We were using Oracle databases. And so basically where I was, we kind of had bought into the Oracle world. And the IDE we were using at the time was called JDeveloper. It was an Oracle IDE. As, as I recall, it was terrible. Right. I mean, but I think all the tools were basically terrible in those days. So maybe, you know, even the original version of Visual Studio was not so great. It was a there was a few. Yeah, that, that's probably true. I maybe am looking back on some of the tools that I liked back in back then, like the uh, Borland C++ compiler. Um, and that kind of gave you an IDE, which was I found very nice at the time. Uh, but maybe it was terrible by today's standards. Well, I, I can't speak to that one. I, I think maybe I used that once. And, and that, that didn't actually have... No, there was a version that was a Windows version. I remember using the old DOS version of the Borland C++ tool. Yeah, this is the Windows version that I was more familiar with. Um, and where I really uh, learned or pl- practiced C++ at least. It's interesting. Um, I know basically every episode we sort of talk about how I am an instructor working with people who are just beginning. It's kind of one of the things that I guess it's one of our themes. Is that right? Do we have themes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If there is going to be a theme to the show, it's going to be about that. That's cool. All right, good. So I'll just lean into that. Um, but I think back upon in my experience as a developer, and I feel like, you know, I mean, and maybe everybody feels this way once they have enough time in in the industry but i definitely feel like i i watched a lot of these tools develop and mature over time graphical environments really you know i was in college when the first operating system i used in college was like windows 3.1 and then we got 95 and it was amazing right and so like the the graphical id graphical tools within graphical ides development environments um were really they kind of matured as i matured as a developer so you know, the tools back then were, were fine for the time, but, you know, compared to today, there's, there's, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no fair comparison at least, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're just doing so much more. Um, I mean, I think they're not without their, 
uh, fair criticism today, but they are just compared to what IDs used to be. It's amazing. I mean, these, this was sort of before even um, syntax highlighting and, you know, just simple things. I mean, certainly that existed, but uh, some IDs didn't have it, right? Some, some things just had simple, they were simple file trees and um, it certainly wasn't any that I remember any like auto formatters, um, you know, things that just kind of like naturally indent your code based on some set of rules and these kind of language servers that are running in the background and giving you IntelliSense. I mean, I, that's all still pretty fresh to me. Yeah, IntelliSense is pretty cool. I remember, you know, after the J developer days when we, the, the, the group I was with, we switched to C Sharp. We, we switched to, I guess we had a moment of VB.net. Uh, so in like 2004, I think we switched to C Sharp. So I remember that IntelliSense thinking like, this is sort of uh, amazing. Like, what is what's happening? You know, we're 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 six months away from just having the computer write the code itself, right? <laughs> right. I don't know what happened, yeah. but yeah, something in 2005. The, there is a separate timeline where there's like 10 developers in the world because it's all done by one massive computer, but not in our timeline. Yeah, fortunately, uh, we, that didn't happen. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, this is this is definitely a rambling way to talk about my earlier my earlier ex, you know stint with Java. Uh, we, we I real, built some very very simple web apps. Um, a lot of like none of us knew what we were doing to be honest so we were writing a lot of code in the markup in a java server page a jsp page mm -hmm. and then this sort of like servlet technology i'm like i know i discovered this you know where you can respond to a git request with a method in a class i'm like oh this is amazing i don't need you know i'm not like doing this crazy like uh, is this you know a post or a get inside the inside the, the page itself? I'm not doing all this code here, and and that I was still very young and naive. I didn't really understand even the concept of separation of concerns. But there was like something in me like you know shouted victory when I discovered that that was a thing without really understanding the concept. It just seemed like the right thing. So so anyway, I experienced some, but I, I felt I felt a lot of pain. I remember when Java Generic showed up because that was around that time. I guess we were using 1.3, I want to say, in, of Java in those days. I can't remember. Yeah, they, they have kind of a strange, not strange, but, you know, uh, they've had a couple of numbering conventions or versioning conventions, right? Now they're on like a, a whole number kind of versioning path. Is that right? That's right. So maybe we can get back to get to the actual point of me talking about my, my current experience. So I, I, I took a long time off of, of Java. I really didn't like it. I didn't like a lot of the tools around it. It was very much like XML is everywhere too, which is another aspect mm -hmm. of it. It's like everything was configuration with XML. And in those days we were doing, uh, we saw, we were doing Java servlets and everything, but then we switched to using a framework called struts, which was again, it was all this configuration. And this kind of like you wrote all these XML documents to so they could generate code for you to like handle requests or do whatever. Um, and it was it was before, you know, Ruby on Rails had really had popularized the idea of uh, convention over configuration. It was very much yeah. it's configuration. And it's like we're going to we're going to call it a domain specific language, a DSL. So you feel good about writing all this XML. Right. <laughs> Uh, and it was just intense and irritating. Um, 
And so that was a bad taste in my mouth. Some of the tools were a bad taste in my mouth. Like, I mean, I think the, you know, I'll just be just blunt about it. Like Eclipse, I used that tool for a little while and oh, it was yeah. rough, yeah. man. It was like things, when the, the UI didn't make any sense. It was constantly changing configuration. I don't know why I was doing that. There was a lot. I, re- I used it a lot too. Um, and it had a lot of like sub menus and things would float and you're like, not sure like the organization, uh, of, of it all. And just like a lot of menus is what I remember. And a lot of little windows and a lot of weird icons. And it was that whole Java look, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> there was a Java, there is a Java look and, may, and maybe like that aesthetic is what kind of turned me off or something. I don't know. It had a very like, uh, 90s look in a in the 2000s. It was like this looks dated. Whenever I don't know for some reason. And it was very much like you know I, I get the concept of it. So the concept of Java has always been very much leaning into cross platform, very backwards compatible. Like we're trying, you know, they want it to work everywhere, right? Yeah. And and so you know they created. Um, and this was in the AWT, the the windowing toolkit in those days, and then they created Swing on top of that. So Swing, I think, used some of the more native-looking controls, but AWT was this, like, it's just Java. So everything, so they they made the the decision to make a Java Windows application or a win a GUI application, I should say. To make it look the same on every platform, as opposed to making it fit with the platform that it was on. And at the time, like right now, now we can look back on it and say that that was that was foolish, and that was not like leaning into the to the uh, idioms of the, uh, the the metaphors that people using that platform understood. It wasn't like it was. It's jarring. It takes you out of it. But I think at the time, you could make you know nobody knew any better, right? We we didn't know. Like, you know, maybe that was the right thing to do. Make a make an application that always looks the same. So no matter where you are, it's going to be the same. But it just turns out yeah, that I people don't people don't go other places, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's something that we kind of learned later on, I'd say. Um, but at the time, I feel like that did make sense that no matter where you go, it's going to look the same. And the, the metaphors, like you're there to use the application, not the operating system. Um, but I feel like that was sort of the the promise later on of the web. Um, this kind of cross platform. There's like a native. UI language. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of understood at the time why they were doing it that way. I just didn't like the look of it. Yeah, well, and that's the other side of it. It had to be the super lowest common denominator. Plus, they probably, frankly, just didn't have the staff that, say, Apple or, or Microsoft had to think about the UI that much. Right? I mean, they're building yeah, this whole also- other platform, and now on top of that, we're just going to slap on some windows and stuff. It was probably also in that transition time where the people building this, uh, they probably didn't have any UI people in the room helping them. It was built by engineers who gave second or third thoughts to, to UI. It wasn't the, the primary concern. It's like, let's just get it to work. The people who are using this are probably like computer people who don't care what it looks like anyway, which was wrong. You know, that, that, um, I guess they had missed the trend where PCs had gotten into every home and people had multiple uh, PCs in their home. And and they just assumed it was going to be other engineers who didn't care what it looked like as long as it did the job. 
I keep uh, I keep getting sidetracked when I when I try to talk about the current situation, I, and, I, and I'm doing it to myself. And I'm going to do it one more time. It's interesting that you mentioned the web. Like the web as a platform is without an operating system, right? The browser mm-hmm. is the platform you're on, and so it's kind of interesting that the web gets gets to get away with that somehow. Mm-hmm. Like the web gets away with being. It always looks the same on every platform, and that's what we expect. It's like we don't want it to look like Windows or Mac OS or Linux or whatever. Or, yeah, or I think there are, there, there are certain elements of the web that will ha- take on a look of like if you if you don't style your buttons, for example, well, every operating system um, is going to have their own kind of what a default button looks like, right? Um well, that's exactly that's everyone, exactly why you want to to style it and make it look the same. Exactly right, right. So you want to control it so that yeah, it is similar. So we've sent, it's like a kind of a TikTok type deal where we've gone back to it looks the same no matter where you are. The I guess it's really not about the operating system anymore. It's the screen size. Anyway, that's a bit of a that's a departure. I guess <laughs> yeah. one of the what are we talking one about? of the things that we do I guess on this show is sort of go off on weird tangents maybe. I think so. I, mean, I think I do that anyway, no matter whether people are listening or not. Even, I mean, literally, just I'm alone by myself. I'm going off on tangents all the time. But I don't think this is about that. So I have been exploring Java lately, and you can you can you can tell from what I said. There's been you know 15 years, more than that probably. Uh, yeah, like 17 years, I guess, since I really took. A strong look at Java, and it's 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 much better now. So I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Really, I mean, there's still some issues, uh, and I don't I don't really kind of like to talk about it. Partly part of the reason I want to talk about this is because last last week or last time I don't know last week. What are, it's probably not last week, right? We're doing every other week right now releases. Uh, who knows in the future what we're doing? Um, but the last time we talked. Uh, we talked about learning and how we learn and, you know, the you know, the process of learning some new technology. And I sort of admitted that I wasn't very good at it. Mm. Uh, and, and part of what I, got me thinking about that topic the last time we talked was my dive into Java and thinking about Java. And just thinking about how how tough it has been for me to really do that. So I thought this this time we talk, it might be... Uh, it might be interesting to dive into the more specifics of that. Of, of just learning uh, anything or learning a, a new well, or learning technology. specifically learning Java. I'd like to talk about Java as a language. I guess I guess I have competing desires. Yeah, I'd like to talk about what I have learned, but also maybe talk about how I've gone about trying to learn it. Sure. Um, well, I, I suppose I should say that um, I uh, all of my questions are going to be. Um, genuine, like I really don't know anything about Java, uh, so I am coming kind of from a place of ignorance. I have an impression of the language, just like I have an impression of a few other languages, and um, I guess I'll, I'll I'll keep an open mind because um, most of my impressions have been sort of negative. I've been burned a little bit by Java in several, in a few ways over the years, and never, but I've never actually taken the time to to learn it. Um, so well, I guess well, I'm going to come at this from a very much a novice, like a, a deve- like an sure. experienced developer learning this, and I will tell you that it's 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 okay. <laughs> well, 
Well, I feel like, you know, you and I have been hanging out on the .NET island, and you swam to the other, <laughs> the Java island. And, uh, yeah, you're telling me it's okay and the waters don't have sharks in them like we thought. Um, so I guess that's probably how I'm going to come at this is as a C sharp uh, developer. And my impression is that they uh, have a lot of similar metaphors. They, they're trying to fill a, a similar space, uh, similar customers. Um, is that kind of from what you're, what you're learning today? Uh, accurate. I mean, and I'm, so this is like outside the language specifics. Um, is it in that space that uh, that C Sharp and .NET are in? I think so. I mean, Java is more popular generally than than C Sharp from from everything I've gathered. You know, you go to that Tyobi index that people like to argue about, and Java and C sure. are always competing for the the top spot. Uh, now that's a global index, though, right? Like. I think, um, I mean, ge- we've talked about this before, maybe privately, but like that has a lot to do with geography. Uh, there's some, for whatever reason, cities or countries tend to become Java places or C-sharp places. Um, so I, I wasn't sure if the Tyobi thing was a global index or... Yeah, I mean, I think it's based, on, it's based on like search engine results and things like that. So I'm sure it's global in that way. Uh, I think I think that's right. And I... I I'm going to say that they break it down by country, but I, I might just be making that up. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But Java is very popular. And I think you can make a case for it being more popular than .NET. Um, mm-hmm. But it is very – I think it actually has fewer fewer places where it's used than .NET, than, than C Sharp, I guess I should say, or I don't know. Um, so it's definitely you know an enterprise sort of web applications or APIs or that sort of back you – know, back-end systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's probably the, the number one place it's used. And then Android, you know, is there was... Uh, there's the, the ongoing and possibly ended uh, Oracle versus Google lawsuit uh, that, I don't know, yeah. it keeps it keeps being settled and then they keep... Uh, then, then one side or the other, whichever side lost, uh, goes back to court and tries again. Um, so that, you know, Android is definitely a place where Java is very popular um and and that and that's that's about it right i mean in the old days there were kind of web there were you know applets in that space which they're gone uh there there are of course you know desktop applications written in java but i don't think it's the major platform you know from what i've kind of seen a lot of desktop applications written in java are about doing java development so i guess that's okay (laughs) but i'm not sure that that's really a sign that you're that popular in that space uh, whereas yeah. C Sharp, you know, C Sharp is definitely mobile, cross-platform mobile too, which is nice. And web apps and stuff are probably the most popular, but Windows apps, but also games with Unity. Uh, I think, you know, I think there's just a little bit broader scope that, that .NET has, but not as popular in anyone in uh, in kind of the the enterprise backend development space. Yeah, it's, it's probably there's going to be like some specific industries where C sharp reigns and Java's not popular for some reason, and, and it's the reverse in in other more more places uh, that the Java is like more popular. Um, okay, I mean that I just I really haven't been keeping up with my Java news, and I just wondered if that had changed. I mean, obviously the world of applets has gone away, and that was where. You, we saw most of the the UI parts of Java, or at least I did. Um, 
So, yeah, sound sounds like that's kind of what the, my impression was correct, that it's like more back end and still heavier on the, the enterprise or kind of the corporate world. Um, unless you get, unless you talk specifically about Android, I have often wondered recently, like if Android hadn't been sort of Java based, what would the Java language and ecosystem be doing right now? Would we see it being kind of falling in popularity or, or is that somehow propping up like even the stuff that's not related to Android? I don't, I mean, I think, I think they're just different worlds. I, I, I mean, I'm no expert in any of this, but you know, my, my, limited perspective is that that those there's completely different worlds in the same way that you know like enterprise c-sharp developers are different than unity developers building games Mm -hmm. i just don't see Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of like crossing of those two communities and so uh, i you know java has a huge like there's a tons of code written in java um Mm -hmm. and java has a more so than c-sharp i would you know from 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 my learnings uh, has a, a stronger focus on backwards compatibility and running, um, you know, running your Java code that's written today or written like in 1997 or whatever, running it today on a, on a modern JVM should still work and you should still like not have any issues there. And, and beyond that, like, like a binary compatibility, right? You're still able to mm-hmm. run those, yeah. cla- those, com- those byte code compiled classes. And so, you know, .NET has had some of that, but you know, the whole switch to .NET Core certainly was was a was a change in direction and thrown out a lot of binary compatibility. Sure, yeah, they they've tried to maintain compatibility, but there have been some huge, major breaking changes to the runtime um, occasionally, and I guess that's just something that the community has accepted for the greater good. Um, that's interesting, though, that they're still trying to preserve that binary compatibility from, from that far back. Uh, but I'm sure that there are people who are demanding that or who absolutely like run their entire company on certain things that they've lost the source code to uh, continue to run. Well, and there, you know, there's, a, there's a history of that. Microsoft itself has had a, a history of wanting to have compatibility you know, across Windows. But even beyond that, you know, somebody like a company like IBM has amazing compatibility of its mainframe since for, you know, mm-hmm. 50 plus years. Uh, so, so yeah, there's definitely need, there's, there's demand. Maybe, maybe need is the wrong word. Maybe, you know, sometimes I wonder if that sort of like, you know, being a slave to that backwards compatibility isn't really just, you know, an albatross more than it is being responsive to customers. It's like you're really keeping the, co- holding the customers back by not pushing them forward. And I kind of wonder if that's where Microsoft has kind of landed right now. Um, but, you know, it, trying to force your customers in a particular direction is, is kind of a dangerous game to play, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, you can make a case of this for their own good. Anyway, anyway, that's, that's probably a, a different topic for another day. Um, so I definitely want to get into like the language and, and things that you've found interesting about it. Um, but I have to ask, like, what's the package management kind of story in the Java world or what's the, the first class package management story? Man, again, we're, we're thinking I'm comparing this to the Microsoft space. And one of the things that that is strikingly different uh, and this is beyond packages, but it includes packages and, and that kind of world is that 
you know, in, in the .NET space, Microsoft really is in charge. You know, I mean, the .NET Foundation is technically an external world. NuGet is its own thing. But Microsoft is kind of running stuff. Um, in Java, there is not such a centralized body. So there are two competing for build systems, mm-hmm. uh, Maven and Gradle. Maven is a little bit older, I think, but not. They're both relatively old at this point. But Maven is this very much XML-based sort of old feeling. You got to write it all out, and then you and then uh, you you configure the build that way. But you also refer to you know, external dependencies where you download external uh, jar files or libraries. Um, and Maven became the central hub. So there's a the place where you get your your where you download your Java uh, your Java libraries is Maven Central, which I uh, recently discovered. Um, mm-hmm. And so Gradle is this other build system that also uses Maven Central as a as a, a, a repository of, of libraries. Though you can oh, wow. point it to other places and that sort of thing. And Gradle is this Groovy-based build system. Mm-hmm. So Groovy is another language that runs on the JVM. It's kind of like a, uh, a dynamic version of Java. It's an interpreted mm-hmm. language. Uh, I think you can actually compile it to bytecode. I don't know what limitations happen there. Um, but it's a really interesting syntax where you can write Groovy code that kind of looks like JSON-ish configuration, but really is executable code so it's that it, it reminds me of of the old kind of javascript build systems where i guess um uh, maybe not even i mean i guess something like webpack still has you know still like a javascript file but but uh what was it grunt that was the first javascript build system yeah, that was you wrote, you're writing code to actually do this and so yeah huh so but but the thing that the thing that really strikes me is that there's not exactly a prescribed way to do these things. It's like, yeah, well, here's a couple of options that you can use. And that sort of thing extends throughout the environment. Um, yeah, I, I can already tell that would be very frustrating for me. Like, I, I kind of appreciate the, um, the C-sharp approach, definitely, but I feel like this extends to other languages, too, like Python, you know, kind of having that. There is the one way to do this thing that you want to do. Maybe that's more language specific than ecosystem specific. Um, but yeah, that, that sounds quite frustrating what you're describing. Well, something like, I think, you know, Python has a mix of it too, um, where there's PyPI where you get your packages, mm-hmm. but there are all mm-hmm. kinds of ways to do dependent, a couple of different ways, a few different ways to do dependency management at least. And, and it, it's, I, th- I think, you know, you can say what you want about having a centralized authority and, and, and it can have its negatives, but if the centralized authority is making reasonable decisions, then it's kind of nice to just have that out of the box experience. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other ways that is, you know, pretty, pretty different from a, for a C-sharp developer coming to Java is one of the other things is that there's, you know, you pick your tools so in C sharp, you know, it's primarily Visual Studio. 
Uh, you can do stuff in VS Code. I mean, you can use different editors. And, and I do appreciate that Microsoft with .NET Core has made it possible to use different editors. Like, it's actually reasonable to do something in VS Code as opposed to the old days where basically Visual Studio was all you had. And, of course, you know, JetBrains, Writer is, is a thing. I've looked at it a little bit. Um, People love it. People love Writer. I used to love um, JetBrains IDEs. I loved PHP, uh, PHP Storm, and or yeah, I'm now mixing up the names. It was WebStorm and PHP something. <laughs> I can't remember. But anyway, yes, I, I I paid for and loved those back in the day. I have not used Writer, but uh, people are big fans that have switched. So I sh- I've not given Writer a fair shot. I did download it on Linux and just say like, what's this gonna? How's this gonna work? And mm-hmm. I couldn't get it to work in ten minutes, and then I had something something shiny distracted me. <laughs> But you know there are options, but there's also the the, the golden path or whatever, right? The yellow brick mm-hmm. road of, of Visual Studio. So maybe in a way I like that better. Like you you know you have alternatives for people who want a lighter weight tool or somebody wants somebody cross platform, uh, but then normal people are going to go over here. In in the uh, in the Java world, that the number of kind of IDE seems to be less than it used to be from from my sort of looking around. So that you know the J developer that I mentioned earlier that that doesn't appear to exist anymore. But um, IntelliJ, which is a JetBrains IDE, and Eclipse seem to be the major players. NetBeans for for a long time was, but you know I'm starting to kind of I'm getting the sense that maybe it's lesser than it was. Um, I will say that I've been playing with IntelliJ. And IntelliJ is pretty, again, the JetBrains tool, I really like it. It's pretty nice. Um, I, I, I hate having to learn a bunch of new shortcuts. I'm still really bad at it. But they have this sort of escape hatch in IntelliJ where you just you just tap shift twice and you can just search mm-hmm. for anything anywhere. And so it's almost like you don't have to learn all the shortcut keys as long as you just hit shift twice and type what you want and hit enter. Then like it's a few more keystrokes than it would be to just do the immediate shortcut key, but it's kind of like okay. So I, I don't know. That that's actually kind of a nice experience. Um, but it has because of all this complexity, it has when you want to create a new project, it said, do you want to do a Gradle project, a Maven project? Do you want to do just a generic Java thing without any project? And I'm like, I don't know. And you pick Maven, and there's tons of templates, and I don't know what any of these things mean. Um, so I've, I've actually been focused on Gradle because I don't I want to avoid XML and that's really the only reason. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so does that handle like transient dependencies and all that, or is it sort of up to you to to kind of bring down the dependencies of your dependencies? No, it does handle transient dependencies, and that's actually pretty nice. Um, so both both systems do that, both Maven and Gradle. Gotcha. Um, and, and so, and it also has this interesting uh, idea, uh, Gradle does at least, I can't say for sure about Maven, but where it has a distinction between a, an implementation dependency and a test dependency, which is okay. pretty nice. Okay. So you, yeah, I can get behind yeah that. you spell it out in this like just dependency object that you're creating. And if something's a test, then you just put it in the same place, but you just label it differently. And, and that's really that's actually pretty nice. Um, and I will say that it seems like the only thing that I can see that's consistent across everybody who's doing Java is that everybody's using JUnit to do their tests. <laughs> the one constant. Right. 
is the solid test framework. That's that's interesting. Um, uh, who who are who's behind J Unit? I don't know. J Unit was one that was like the early one of the first unit testing frameworks that existed, right? That was Kent Beck. It's been around Beck forever. That, I think in the old days, like yeah. in those early XP programming days, when they really before the Agile Manifesto was even a thing. Um, so it's still around, yeah. and it's only got up to version five, which is kind of impressive. And so I guess it's been hmm. it's been working pretty well for the, over the years to not have to have that many changes. Okay, so let's dive into like the language uh, part of it. I I admit sometimes I'll see some code. You ever are watching a movie and uh, they flash some code on the the TV or whatever, and you're like you're trying to identify the language or trying to identify what's going on. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, it has happened to me. Um, it's a fun yeah. game to watch, to watch how people <laughs> abuse programming languages who don't know anything. Yeah, well, most of the time, I think actually, like uh, movies have gotten a lot better about this. But you know, it used to be just like garbage, or they were like pretending to to do some database stuff, but it was HTML on the screen, and and that hasn't you know, I think movies have gotten better. But um, I'll admit when I see a flash of, of Java on the screen, uh, sometimes it takes me a second. You know, it's not readily apparent that it's Java because, I mean, being a C-style language, it's got that going for it, and you've got curly braces and all that. But, like, unless there's a few key things, then I might confuse it with C-sharp. It's very similar, um, kind of standing, you know, 10 feet away or something like that. I, I think the biggest key I see is, like, what are called uh, think annotations in, you know, like the at sign uh, annotations in Java. That's like a, a giveaway to me. But other than that, like it really tends to look like C sharp to me. I mean, it very much is like C sharp and like, or maybe it's the other way around. C sharp <laughs> looks a lot like Java. Well, and they both look yeah. like C or C plus plus, like you said. Right. Um, and I, I think they both look like C plus plus. Really, I, I don't. I don't see anything um, obvious um, from Java that that says that C sharp copied it. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think it's just it's maybe a little bit. Like I guess in C plus plus, you you have like a block of of methods that are public versus a block that are private. And in Java and in C sharp, you have it, you know, identify each specific method or whatever as public mm-hmm. or private. Uh, maybe something like that. Maybe C sharp copied it. Um, but you know, great, great uh, artist steal that sort of thing. I think is important when it comes to languages. Um, one of the, the things that really impresses me about Java is how small it is compared to C sharp. Um, now there are some things about that that are not as nice and something like in some ways it's not as nice to use, but it's like, it's just impressive that they did it. Right. So I guess I'm confused. I mean, you're talking like reserved words or you're talking about the binary, the, 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 what gets spit out of the, I'm talking about like the the language concepts. Okay. Um, so you still have classes and interfaces, Mm -hmm. but you don't have things like value types so that's just right out that's just a whole thing that c sharp has that java does now java has a few primitives which is interesting mm-hmm. and 
it, it kind of strikes me as something that they might not even do if they were recreating the language today. It's like a performance thing mostly. So an int is not an object in Java. Uh, but there's only a handful of primitives and you can't create your own, right? So int, float, double, those kind of things. Some of the, the things that we think about in C-sharp that are these sort of standard value types, um, but not something like date time, for example. That, that, those are all classes. They're all reference types. Mm-hmm. So primitive types are value types. Everything else is a reference type. So I guess Boolean is another example. Um, and char, that's probably important to say that char is a, value, mm-hmm. is a primitive, which is a value type. But everything else is reference types. You can't create your own value types. There's no concept of that. Um, interfaces are a thing. But interfaces in, well, before I go into that, so the, the, there's only like, to my understanding, now again, I'm just, just learning all this, um, the only other thing you have, other than you know, primitive types, classes, and interfaces, is an enum. And so you do have enums in Java, which are relatively, they haven't always been in Java, and I meant to look up how long they've been in the language, but it hasn't been that long. But enums are actually more powerful in Java than they are in C Sharp, so it's pretty interesting to, to think about. So they're, they're more just, than just aliases for, for ints. Yeah, they're really a kind of class. It's like a special kind of class, really. Um, because an enum in, in Java can have methods. Now, I say that, I was about, I, I kind of misspoke a second ago because I said there's, there's only uh, primitives, classes, interfaces, and enums. Java 16, which is the most recent version of Java, uh, is, which came out just fairly recently, uh, because Java is is on a six month release cycle now, which is sort of crazy, uh, but still like they're 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 having this this sort of cadence where they just release whatever's ready to go, which is basically what yeah. Microsoft is doing with C Sharp now, except they're doing a yearly cadence. But anyway, so there yeah. are there's in 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 Java sixteen there's a concept of record, which is very similar to the C Sharp nine records from what I can gather. Um, so maybe this is an unfair question, like, because this might go into like some history that you haven't been exposed to yet, but so, th- so there's no concept of a struct right, that's right. in Java. So has the community like asked for that and the maintainers have said no, or is it just like, that's just something Java has said, well, we don't need that. We can get performance. Uh, we, we don't need that to get the performance that we care about or something like that. Like how is that coming? I, I'm just surprised to hear that, I guess. Well, yeah, you're right. I don't know the answer to those questions. Like how, who's demanded it? <laughs> yeah, that was unfair. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I'm surprised that it's, um, being as popular as it is that people haven't like said, we have to have structs, you know, look at all this performance that we're missing out on or something. I mean, the JVM has had, you know, 25 years of, of polish and, and performance improvements. Mm-hmm. And, I think it's 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 a it's an impressive tool, uh, though that does remind me of some other things that are kind of interesting, which maybe I'll talk about in a minute. Related to like how many how much choice there is, um, mm-hmm. but I was talking about how I th- I'm impressed with how small the language is. So one of the uh, I think a really good example of this is the way lambdas work in Java. So in C sharp we have this concept of a delegate. Right. So the mm-hmm. delegate is not a class. It is a is a new, is a separate 
kind of thing, right? And it represents like a function signature. And and they devils have been around since like what C sharp two or dot yeah dot mm-hmm. two whatever, um, mm-hmm. and and they haven't been really they weren't really that nice in those days, uh, but right. when Link came out in the three dot three five no I can't remember whatever that right. was they they became really nice and they and then the 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 dot net standard library created all these. Um, these delegates that you could use like a funk of all these various types or action mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, but there are separate things. So in Java, I'm, I'm just, I'm really impressed with the, the sort of elegance of this. They had, they didn't have that concept until Java 8, which came out in like 2014, I believe. Again, I should have written that down. Um, so for a very long time, they didn't have the concept. They did have the idea of an anonymous class, which is something C Sharp doesn't have. So in a place where you you know, you know had, say, a method that accepted an argument of an interface type, mm-hmm. you could just like inline a class definition right there. And it was very common to have class definitions that only had one method in them. So basically, it's 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 essentially like you're trying to pass in a function, but because Java doesn't have that concept, everything has to be an object, and everything that's an object has to be created from a class. You would create this anonymous class that would have a method in it that would do the thing you wanted to do. Hmm. So there was this concept of a runnable interface, for example. So runnable was something that the threading system would use. So if you had a runnable method, I think it has a run method on it. And so you would, if you wanted to say run something in a separate thread, you would create an instance of this anonymous class and, or uh, sorry, you would create an anonymous class that would then create an instance of the anonymous class. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain this. In, in, in I think case. I understand, but and then you, you're not creating the instance. Yeah. You're, you're providing the, the blueprint and the runtime creates yeah, instance. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to like. You, right. you say new, and then you say runnable. You say actually the name of the interface, but because it's an interface, you have to implement it right there, like in the code. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So they had this concept for a while, and and you know a lot of languages were like this is Java is known to be a very verbose language, and so hmm. I guess people were complaining, and it really is super verbose to see this right now, and so they 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 took this idea of this single method interface um, and they just said well if you have an interface that only has one method on it uh, the term they, they they seem to use is like functional interface then you can create then we have this lambda you can use a lambda expression uh, as a way to generate the anonymous class so anytime you see a lambda expression in Java, which uses the like thin arrow, like dash, uh, greater than, mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. equal sign greater than, um, whenever you see something like that, you're actually, the, the compiler is actually creating an, an anonymous class, and that function that you passed in is going to be the implementation of the single method that's on that class. Gotcha. So you're getting a lot done for very few uh, characters of code. <laughs> but that makes it compatible with Everything that came before, because mm. it's not a new concept. It's mm. still uh, it's still an implementation of an interface. It's still an object with a method on it. 
And so whenever you want to execute that method, you can't do like a C-sharp delegate and call it like a function. You're still like have an object and you're calling a method on it, which is interesting to me. And it's, it's a little bit, still a little bit more verbose, to be honest, but not much. And it's like a way to get away from having to have this entirely separate concept in your language. Yeah. No, I get, I, I see what you mean now about um, kind of obsessing over backwards compatibility and, and, sounds like they're able to add new language features and, and maintain a lot of those older concepts without uh, breaking and, and making people mad. And it, it's just, it's, it's a really elegant solution. Now, one of the ways in which Java has tried to you know, deal with backwards compatibility that I'm really very unhappy about, and this is something that even in those old days when I was doing Java, it was introduced at the time that I was doing it, and I didn't like it then, and I don't like it now, and I think it was a terrible mistake. And it's the way they implemented generics. So I think I think this is actually not an unpopular opinion. This is not a controversial opinion that I have. I don't think, uh, but Java generics are a compile time fiction. Basically, they don't exist at runtime. Mm-hmm. So a generic in Java, like. Is, is a cue for the compiler to introduce a cast for you. Mm. And so in the old days, before generics, you would have a list, right? And it would just be, everything in the list was an object. So object right. is the root of the inheritance hierarchy, right? So everything, right, and you had to really know what was going to be in that list. <laughs> yeah, you had to know, but you could put anything in there. You could put, you know, right. strings and numbers. You can't put an integer in there, but there, all those primitive types have these wrapper classes. So you could like wrap an int in a, this integer object and put that in there, or you could put you know another <laughs> list or whatever you wanted to, right? And in practice, people didn't do that. You know, I don't think I don't because you had when you got something out, you had to know what type it was. And so the best way, to, the easiest way to know what type it is when you get something out is to only put the same type of thing in there, right? Right. Um, <laughs> And, and so, like, they would do this cast. So, in order to sort of really maintain this backwards compatibility, uh, I think in Java 1.4 it was, uh, generics were introduced, maybe 1.5. No, no, I wish I had remembered that. Um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't have a note about that, unfortunately. Um, so, whenever generics were introduced, which was, pretty, it was the early 2000s, um, they, they just made it a compiler tool. Which, which use a technique called type erasure. So you write generics in a very similar way than you do in C-sharp. It's almost identical. There's a, a slight difference when it comes to like a generic method, uh, but it's very similar kind of thing. But if you wanted to say like create a list or an array list in Java, so you create an array list of, of strings, you would do it with the angle brackets and everything. And then you would only allow to be allowed to put strings in there. You know, and and... Most of the time, I think this is fine. It means that the compiler will make sure that you don't try to put something that's not a string in there. So not it doesn't happen at runtime. At runtime, there's no information. So at compile time, the compiler says, okay, they only put strings in there. It's fine. And then that the, the idea that it was a list of strings goes away, and the compiler creates this just kind of raw list and it adds casts. So whenever you try to get an element from the list, it will cast it to a string. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times this doesn't make that much difference, 
But what it means is if you're trying to do any reflection, you won't get that type. You won't know what it is. And, you know, how often do you reflection? That's fine. But, like, the thing that really seems that's very strikingly kind of not good to me is if you have, say, a method overload. So if if you have a class and you want one method that takes a list of strings, maybe a list of names of people, and then you have another list that takes a list of persons, so person objects as an argument. So maybe you have an overload for, for the same name, the same method, that two different two different overloads of it, right? One takes a list of strings, one's a list of persons. Java won't let you do that. Because at runtime, it won't be able to figure out which method you're trying to call. And that's blanket for any type of over- overloading or, or when you're using a generic? When you're using partner. generics. If you're not, if you had like a list of strings versus a list of, or no, I'm sorry, a list. If you had a string versus an int or a string versus a person, that's fine. Because, gotcha. okay. because it still maintains that runtime type. But when right. it comes to so. generics, a list of strings and a list of persons are the same type at runtime. Right. Yeah, I, I see. You have to choose. You can't have both generics and overloads, um, which is actually a pattern I think that we probably do use a lot. I mean, I think you, I think so. Like, I, I think it it feels really constraining in a way. Coming from somebody who's done C sharp, at least in a world where that's not the case, where generics are uh, a runtime thing as well, right? It's a uh, mm-hmm. What's the term? They reified types, which is like this: the type does get created in in IL, right? As a mm-hmm. as this kind of imp- this uh, concrete version of this of this generic type, um, right? Like it just feels really weirdly constraining. It's like I don't know why we have to deal with this. It also means uh, one something I ran into ran into today, for example, when I was playing with something. If you want to do serial or like JSON deserialization, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you have a a method, say you pass in an object and you want it to be deserialized into a cl- an instance of a class, that method is actually generic. So it means that you say like it's going to be a person class that you're going to get out get out of this. Mm-hmm. In C sharp, you would just have to say angle bracket person. Mm-hmm. But in Java, you actually have to have a second argument to the method that is the class type of the person. So the runtime type. So you have to say something like deserialize, open parenthesis, like person JSON string, comma, right. person dot class. Because it, it needs that information. It's not being able to get it from the generic parameter. That's right. right. But you still yeah. have the generic parameter because the compiler will insert a cast in there as well. Yeah. So you kind of have to have both things. Yeah. Now that, that seems, um, I mean, from, from coming from a different language where that's not necessary, it's like, ah, why, why would you do that? That, that looks, uh, that's not pleasant. That feels redundant. Why are you making me type this extra stuff? Can't the compiler be smart enough to like add this in for me? Um, is there a situation where you'd provide a different type parameter um, than, than the, or a different class than the generic type that you provided? I mean, I suppose in that case I just laid out, it would be, it would be legal to provide a, 
a parent class is a generic parameter or an interface or something. Right. I don't know that that would come up, but it would be legal to do that. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting point. Like that, an interface type probably wouldn't work in that in like a C sharp world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work in Java because it's just a mm-hmm. cast. That's what it's using it for, and a cast to an interface is valid. That's interesting. I haven't really thought about that before. Well, uh, I am curious. Um, I mean, there's all these kind of, we didn't really even touch on the runtime piece. Um, so I want to make sure, do you have anything to say about the runtime before I ask my kind of next follow-up question? I do. I, I feel like, you know, I know I know we're rambling a little bit, but that's what we do on this show, right? We just sort of like talk. This is our conversation. Um, one of the things, one of the ways in which this is this Java world is so different from the .NET world is that there are a seemingly infinite number of implementations of, of Java. <laughs> I'm only aware of really two um, that I could name right now. But go, go on, teach me. Well, maybe I, maybe that's a little bit of a broad statement, but I'm going to try to defend it. So there's an Oracle JDK. So Oracle owns Java, you know, 10 plus years ago, they yep. bought Sun and uh, they got Java from the deal. And so they have a commercial version of Java that you have to get a license for and pay them. And I guess there are certain kind of bells and whistles that they give you, which I can't really speak to, uh, that, that you get from that. And then there's an open JDK. So open JDK is the open source version. And Oracle provides a, a build of the open JDK. So their own sort of open JDK implementation. But open JDK is not an Oracle thing, right? So open JDK is something that lots of different companies provide builds for. So Microsoft recently just announced that they're providing in Azure their own version of open JDK. Amazon has their own version of OpenJDK, which they run in in their cloud world. Uh, Red Hat has their own, and IBM has their own. (laughs) JetBrains, if you download IntelliJ, the default JDK that it uses is called like the JetBrains runtime environment or something like that. So are these like separately maintained, or are they sort of like uh, forks from a common repository of, of open an open JDK implementation that's like the main trunk that uh, how are all these people spinning up their own JDKs I don't know about the JetBrains one but all the ones that are open I think JetBrains is the same but I'm not sure but the rest of them they do seem to be forks they're basically forks of, of open JDK and they're just doing their own sort of things with them and, and to be honest with you I'm not really sure why? I mean, Microsoft wrote this whole thing recently about like why they were doing it, and it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Maybe I'm just naive or kind of simple. Um, but like, yeah. I I guess you know every cloud provider is ha- has their own sort of performance concerns, is what I'm thinking, or maybe they're doing their own security audits, and so they want to be the one responsible for doing the building of it. Um, I I really don't know, but it does seem to be. Like it's anybody, you can have your own, like you can make your own, we can make uh, the ref count podcast open JDK if we wanted to. Um, yeah. 
I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. I mean, it might be sort of a necessity. We'll see where this mm-hmm. podcast That's goes. Fair. Um, yeah, I guess my mind went to security. Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't know what like the who's allowed to commit to it and and how open it is, but I would think that like something that's so dependent, uh, or that that your services are so dependent on, you would want to have some type of like gate to make sure that someone's not doing something malicious. The JDK. I mean, really, if you could introduce some type of not virus, but um, I don't know, window into the compiler step, and then now you're injecting code into every build of the software. I mean, that's that's a lot of power right there. So security is one thing, and then it, there's got to be a legal. You know, the law, the lawyers probably came up with this idea. Uh, I got uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. That's really interesting though. Yeah, I mean, I I think that Microsoft has had people complain about you know Mono and .NET Core and .NET Framework. And it's, that's, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything on the Java space. There's just so many, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Like there are, I don't know about, I don't know about the, the legal details. I do, you know, I think there probably are some, but I, I suspect that a lot of it is, is about control, and a lot of that control is about making security guarantees. I mean, it does mm-hmm. seem like. You know, the people who are making their own are largely, you know, have have an interest in in having people run on their platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess the I mean, I don't know why JetBrains is doing it. They, maybe maybe they decided they needed that something in that space because of Kotlin for some reason. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, that is interesting, or or it gives them like a, a stake and a seat at the table, and maybe some more power in the community or whatever by having, uh, you know, saying, "Hey, we've innovated in the space," and they can feed that back um, upstream. Who, who knows? Um, but more generally, uh, how do you find the runtime? I mean, is it a thing that you like wrestle with, or is it just is it is it gold and it works every time? Well. What do you mean by how do you find like installing it? Uh, I wouldn't say installing it, but um, I mean, <laughs> I I really this is going to show a lot of my ignorance of, of Java, but like I assume you have jar files. Is that what gets spit out at the end of your compilation step? Uh, I think that is pretty standard. So jars are jars are jars are kind of cool too in the fact that they're just zip files or literally zip files. Uh, mm-hmm. They're Java archive files. Uh, they, there's like a manifest file that's sort of standard, but they're really the format is just jar files. Uh, but yeah, so you do end up like your your you the the lowest level of uh, compilation artifact, I guess, is a class file, which is just a single Java file compiled into a class kind of an object file, really. Uh, mm-hmm. But then you, you zip all those up in an archive and you have a full Java application or package or whatever. You know, in, in kind of in the .NET world, you have assemblies. You might have more than one, I guess, in this, in one application. In that and are you, trying to, are you trying to maintain um, multiple versions of the GRE, um, of the Java runtime, like, side by side or are you just focused on like the latest version or is that like I don't even know I think that's an interesting question like 
There, you know, I said I mentioned earlier how Java has started this six-month cadence. Like literally every six months, they're releasing a new, what what appears to be a major version. But Oracle says you shouldn't think about it like a major version because it, it mm-hmm. it's not necessarily going to be a huge leap in new features. You know, it's going to be it's um, it's just kind of whatever's whatever's ready is is going to be released. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, it's still like says a major version to me when you have a new number. So, but anyway, they're doing. I don't know. That's just my opinion. So they're releasing this all the time. That being said, there are certain there are very few that are like Oracle would call long term support versions. And this is where I get really confused um, because Oracle's JDK, the long term support versions are eight and eleven. I think eight is going. It's actually eight might be out of support now. So JDK eleven which I think came out in 2019, early 2019, um, which is amazing, right? So like 2021, we're on 16 now. So they have like a bunch of different versions that have happened somehow since then. Um, But that's still their long-term support. And the Java 27 or Java 17, which is coming out later this year, is going to be a long-term support. But that's like the Oracle commercial version, and I don't really know what it means for these Open JDKs because different companies are supporting it, and maybe that's part of why you know you might make your own bill because you're gonna if you're gonna support it, then you want to own it completely. Um, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. but you you should be able to run like you know class files or anything compiled in these older versions and the current version of Java because that's kind of one of the Java, you know, guarantees that those things should continue to work. And, uh, but, but Java, JDK 11, and Java 11 seems to be the place where most people have settled on. And so I think like uh, AWS Lambda, for example, that's the highest version that you can use hmm. there because that's, that's a nice, got a nice features. It's, it's really, you know, it's like stable, it's long term support. Um, this is just where we are. I, I assume that people will, you know, switch to 17 when that is released in the fall. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess just it's some a world that I live in now is like I'm running things on the the what we call the full framework now and .NET Core, but different versions. I'm running you know .NET 3.1, .NET 5, and I'm I'm playing around with preview versions of .dot .NET 6. Um, and, and maybe it's just you're not deep enough in that world yet, or you're not running like many applications. You're still in the learning mode. I was just curious what the story was about like. Uh, I want to run this with this version of the runtime, and I didn't know if you specified that with some like global configuration flag or some type of you know environment variable or something like oh, that. I, I wasn't see. sure what the story was. Well, I mean, in Java is it's like it, it does seem to be still in this world of like a central install in your OS, mm-hmm. and it's all about setting environment variables. So your path mm-hmm. file, but also a class mm-hmm. path variable. So class path is like where do you go look for the various class files or and or jar file and jar file well the jars become part of the class path so maybe that's not exactly but where do you go look for classes it's literally like a a windows or linux or mac os whatever kind of like formatted path variable environment variable mm-hmm. but it's to find to look for java classes um, now can you set that 
uh, per sort of application, or is that something that has to be set at the sort of operating system or the runtime, wherever the runtime exists, well, you, and it's like global for everything? You can, well, you can set an environment variable so it could be user specific or okay. a system environment variable in like Windows or something that's going to always be there in other operating systems. But you can also run it at at the runtime. You can specify it with a command line switch. Yeah, so just normal. There, there's nothing really... It doesn't sound like there's anything tricky about that, just the normal environment variables that we're sort of used to. It's not tricky, but it's, it doesn't feel like it's friendly, you know, to be honest. If you have, you know, if you're in the .NET space, you can build, you could, you know, compile to an .exe. And even today, mm-hmm. you know, today, you can compile to like a single executable and just give it to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can run it. It's all built in. You can compile everything in the same box, right? From everything I've seen, like Java is expecting Java to be installed. Um, it is the running is probably going to have some kind of batch file or shell script to actually do the Java execution with a class path set. It's still not quite as friendly. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, you're not building these Java applications to give to somebody without a few kind of layers on top of it. And of course, if you're building it mostly to running a server environment, that doesn't matter. You know, so you're not building a lot of Windows applications or desktop applications. And if you're building it on mobile, it's got its own, it's a whole other world there. So you don't have to worry. Right. Yeah. They have a whole other packaging layer to go through. So interesting. Um, Well, I do want to ask about like the learning process. How are you going? I, I mean, I assume you've got your 500-page uh, "How to Learn Java in 365 Days" book right next to you on your desk. Yeah, I um, mean, well, I have a yeah, I got my my monitor propped up on it. <laughs> yeah, and then then you're doing, of course, your you know Java in in 30 lunches or something like that. You know, uh, classic methods of learning. But are you doing any other types of learning? How are you uh, trying to to understand Java these days? Well, it's sort of a twofold approach, and and I think this goes back to what we talked about last time. We talked a little bit like how do you learn things. Um, I've been trying to sort of put into practice what I I encourage my students to do. Practice what I preach, I guess. Uh, and so it's the two folds are one is kind of starting with portal site courses, and I've been actually mm-hmm. you know I have had it in my head because of for historical reasons, that Pluralsight was very much like Microsoft-focused. There's actually a ton of Java stuff there, which is actually pretty nice. Um, and and some, some well-done courses, so I, I'd highly recommend that for anybody interested in it. So Pluralsight courses, uh, that has led me to just, you know, doing search web searches for things and reading stuff. Uh, and, and then, you know, writing some code. So those are the, yeah. the two prongs are... You know, read you know, read and watch Pluralsight courses, and then you know, try to write some code and try to understand. And then, of course, that that leads back to you know, Google searches or DuckDuckGo searches or whatever, and um, looking around to try to answer questions uh, how how all these things work. Um, and, and and that's been you know, again, it's been my it's it's been the thing I've been preaching to my students is. You have to write code. You have to do something to make sure you understand it. Oh, definitely. And that is that has been true for me. So, are you just playing with uh, raw Java right now, or are you uh, playing with any of the frameworks that are out there? 
Right now, I'm not playing with frameworks, but I'm, I guess I, I guess you're you're right. I'm trying to just do the raw things. I have been using the Google JSON library for doing JSON serialization and deserialization. Google, both Google and Apache have sort of what appear to be kind of competing extra libraries, almost like extensions to the standard library uh, for Java. And so I've been looking at some of the Google things, but I, I have not dug deep enough into it. And I've not been building like web applications at this point. Uh, I do gotcha. kind of ex anticipate doing some of that, um, but mostly just building kind of command line tools. I just um, the only framework I really know from from Java is the Spring framework. I, I don't even have any sense of if it's like how popular it is, um, but it, it must have some popularity if I'm aware of it. And I think it's just a general kind of application framework for you know if you were going to be building sort of a variety of different things, you might there, there's components in Spring. I believe it's been around a while. So I I, I just was looking for a little insight into that world. Uh, but maybe we'll have to check back in with you a few months and see where you're at well, on I'm, your journey. The thing that I don't know much about Spring, but I will say that I've read some, and and it, it definitely is sort of the ubiquitous like tool. I think some of the I mentioned Google and, and uh, Apache having their libraries. I don't think Spring is actually competing with those, but Spring is a way to structure the your 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 web app programs. I don't know that other things are really spring friendly. But the thing that is interesting to me about spring is that it was born out of being just simply a dependency injection framework. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, it really started to, to grow, it took, it took hold. That's funny. Yeah, it's uh, got all kinds of extra tools. It's got like, you know, connecting to external services and database tools and I don't, I don't know all the bells and whistles that live in, in the spring world but you know it's a framework for constructing your entire application but it really just started out as being a way to deal with dependency injection hmm. interesting well uh, where do you go from here well what's uh just continue on down that same plural site and build code um, do you have an end end goal in mind how how will you know when you when you've learned Java? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I don't I don't know how to answer that question. I think how do you know? Um, you know, I I I want to do this. Let me let me answer this question that you didn't ask. I want to do this um, partly because I I want to feel some of the pain that my students feel in learning something new. I think mm. we talked about this last uh, last time we talked was this idea that there's this sort of romanticism about learning. Like we're all, I love to learn, you know, just bring in the knowledge and I'm just like sitting under the tree reading a book and the birds are singing or whatever. Um, I'm just pulling in all this information. But re in reality, learning is a grind. You know, learning is hard and challenging. And I think that, as an instructor, as somebody who is, you know, an educator, I should, I should, you know, have that experience myself once in a while. Mm -hmm. So maybe the way that I know I'm done with this is when it stops being a grind. 
Like when it stops hurting, I, I can uh, potentially be done. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. no, that's totally true. I mean, I, I think we talked about it last time. Just that that hurt is is learning. <laughs> learning is hurt. Uh, so that's that's a uh, probably a good place to be, uh, at least occasionally. At least occasionally, good good to swap places with your students and, and uh, get their perspective. So. Well, and I think, you know, just we talk a lot in, t- in this field of about how important it is to keep up. But then I think we, we all we also find our niches and we stay there. And I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that's wrong. You know, there's there's certainly too much for any one person to really learn everything. And, and so it's, you know, if you find the thing that to, that you enjoy to focus on, it pays the pays the bills, you know, and, the, and gives you the kind of the life that you want to have, then that's that's perfectly fine. Um, but I do think there's value in in shaking things up mm. sometimes. And, and maybe maybe learning the kind of alternative major enterprise tool set is not the most exciting thing to do, maybe. You would be you know, we talked a lot about Rust, maybe learning something like that, or learning like Haskell or something or Idris or something crazy on the on this outskirts of of programming would be maybe that's your thing. But I think that I guess if I was going to encourage people to do anything, I would encourage folks to to pick something that that is is interesting to them but they don't know anything about or they don't know much about it and dive into it and know when you go into it that it's not going to be some just beautiful experience it's gonna it's gonna like be weird and painful you're gonna there's gonna be profanity mm-hmm. you know it's gonna happen <laughs> uh yeah. and you're gonna be frustrated and, and that's okay like that's how you know it's working exactly you know? yeah well, I have to say, you uh, you almost convinced me that that uh, Java is, is uh, me a C sharp developer. You almost convinced me that Java is a good place to be. But um, there are other... I'm snapping back. Well, uh, you know, I know <laughs> we don't have any more time when our time is up. But there are other things. One of the you know, as we go, maybe future episodes, I can talk about some other other aspects as we go. That's good. And I think we we touched on a few different areas, and uh, we'll have to revisit this journey. Uh, if you continue to make it, so yeah, tune in. Tune in next week when I'm switching. <laughs> to, I think I'm going to pick up Coffee Script. Yeah, for sure. That I hear that's coming back. Right. Uh, or everyone's everyone's using Go now. I heard all the Python developers are leaving Python for Go. So we'll see. So um, all right, Andy. Well, I will talk to you next time. All right, Taylor. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Sounds good. See you, buddy.